And I'd like to extend a, a very warm welcome on behalf of the, the elders and our church family here at Cornerstone to our visitors and friends. And uh, you are our guests with us today. It's great to have you with us. And we hope that you'll stay behind and, and join us for lunch. And thank you for, for being with us today as we give thanks to God for providing us with this uh, wonderful new venue here in, in North Hobart. And today we're going to be looking at God's Word from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 9, and I'll be looking at a moment from verse 9. And while you're doing that, for the men of the church, there is a, a course of Valiant Man starting tomorrow night. It's, um, it, it's, not, it's something that we've just become aware of, but it's an excellent course uh, for men, and it, it deals with uh, sexuality, pornography, uh, all those kinds of issues. It's a 10-week course, and if you're at all interested in attending the Valiant Man course, and I can highly recommend it. I did the course myself uh, some years ago then please come and see me and I can give you the details for that. So an excellent course for men available from uh, Monday night, 10-week course that will be spread over about three months. And uh, Paul Glover also. Paul, we just might raise your hand. So please see myself or Paul Glover if you're at all interested in the Valiant Man course. Thank you. And today we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, from verse 9. Now, yes, yesterday I had to take the vacuum cleaner to the vacuum cleaner shop to get a, a new filter. And I didn't know what kind of filter it needed exactly, so I, I, I literally took the vacuum cleaner into the shop and put it on the counter uh, so that the man could determine for himself which filter I needed. And I could see him looking at the vacuum cleaner with real disapproval. <laughs> and... Then he started pulling covers off the vacuum cleaners, covers I didn't even know were there, and he pulled off a cover and he said, can you see all the dirt in here? I said, yes, I can. He said, put your finger here. And uh, so I, I obediently, I put my finger in the vacuum cleaner and he said, yes, there's, there's a lot of dirt there. And uh, he said, this vacuum cleaner's been really struggling. Uh, all this dirt here has made it very difficult for it to and I felt as though I was some kind of a vacuum cleaner abuser at this moment. And he said, look, if you had kept this filter clean, then we wouldn't be having all this, these problems on the, the other end of the vacuum cleaner. He said, people buy bagless vacuum cleaners without realising the extra care that they need. And so I was made to feel simultaneously lazy, ignorant and irresponsible. He made me feel exactly the way I felt when I accidentally left one of our kids at church one Sunday. I, I felt just, just like that. I went to buy a vacuum cleaner filter and I was judged. I, I, I came away feeling judged and condemned. And next time we need a new filter, Fletcher's going to go into the store. I'm not going back there. Now, my feelings about the, the vacuum cleaner shop may be the same as your feelings about going to church. You may feel that you're not good enough to go to church. If I go to church, then people are going to judge me. 
If I go to church, people are just going to make me feel bad. Or there might be some of you who think that you're too good to go to church. Churches where the self-righteous and narrow-minded Christians go, I really couldn't stand being among such people. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have a real misconception about church and who church is for. You know enough to know that church is God's place, and you know, and you look inside your heart, and you know that you are in the wrong with God. Church is God's place, and you know that you are in the wrong with God. You've not murdered anyone, but you know, you've hurt people. Your words, your behaviour, you've not committed adultery, but you know you've lusted and committed adultery of the mind and the heart. You've judged others harshly when you have generously excused your own faults. You've cared for yourself far more and you care for others. You know there's a God. Nature screamed out that there is a God, a good and powerful and wise and brilliant God. But you've suppressed that knowledge. You've pushed that down. You don't want to think that there's a God there, because if there's a God there, then you'd be accountable to him. So you've suppressed the knowledge of God. And perhaps you feel shamed by your own behaviour, shamed by your drinking, your pornography, your gambling, whatever it is. And perhaps you, you, you know the gospel. You know the good news about Jesus Christ, the fact that he came to save sinners. But you have rejected that gospel. Eyes wide open, rejected it and despised it and said, no to it. Whoever you are, there are many here this morning who know that church is God's place and you know that you are not a good person and you wonder whether you have any place at all in the church. God's place. How can a bad person like me, and I know all that I've done, I know all that I've said and thought, how can a bad person like me fit in the church? It is God's place and God is good. Surely the church, the Bible, Jesus, these things are for others, these things for the good people, not for the bad people like me. If that's you, if you are here this morning and you think that, that the Bible and church and Christianity and Jesus is for the good people, the godly people, you are completely and exactly wrong. Completely wrong about that. And I hope you'll see that this morning as we hear the words of Jesus Christ and as we watch Jesus through the eyes of Matthew in Matthew's Gospel. I hope you'll see how wrong you are as we look and see the day that Matthew himself met Jesus Christ. 
Let's have a look here at Matthew 9, from verse 9. We read that as Jesus went on from there, so he's going from Nazareth to Capernaum. This is in Galilee, in the north of Israel, on the shores of the Lake of Galilee. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth. And we might think, well, what's significant about that? Why is Matthew telling us that he was sitting in a tax collector booth? Well, here we have to understand just a little bit of history. We have to remember that Judea, the land of the Jews, was under Roman occupation. Now, how did the Romans fund their occupying forces? How did the Romans fund the soldiers that they used to occupy the lands that they had conquered? They taxed the people that they had conquered. That's how they funded their troops. They taxed the people that they had conquered and oppressed, and it was those taxes that paid for the oppression. But the Romans were too smart to collect the taxes for themselves. They knew that local people could find any number of ways to get around the tax system, and so they used locals. They used local Jewish people to collect taxes from their own people. You can imagine just how despised the tax collectors were. Because not only were these Jewish tax collectors traitors who were taking money from their own people and giving it to the Romans to fund their occupying forces, but tax collectors were also famous for taking much more than they have a right to take. And so Rome might say, we require... Ten pieces of silver from this family, the tax collector would come and say, you owe 20 pieces of silver to Rome. He would give the ten to Rome. Where would the other ten go? Straight into the pocket. And so tax collectors were notoriously wealthy. They were traitors. They were thieves. They were despised by their community. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what, what could be a, a modern equivalent of a, a, a tax, tax collector? Now, you might disagree with me on this, but I can't help thinking of, of David Walsh here. I can't help thinking of him, because how has this man made his hundreds of millions of dollars? He's made, a, made this money from gambling, from gambling systems. And he's very open about this. And he's explained how he's got all this money. That means that these hundreds of millions of dollars that he has have been taken from gambling losses from those who have lost their, their money, uh, who have sometimes lost their homes, lost their families, lost their dignity. Here's a man who has admittedly, by his own admission, enriched himself by the losses of others. And that's hard to admire, isn't it? And in fact, David Walsh himself says that he built the Mona Museum as, in, as some kind of atonement. He doesn't feel right about having taken so much money and given so little back. And so the, the Mona Museum is some kind of atonement for him. And the point I want to make is that Matthew, this 
man in the community, had enriched himself as a wealthy man, but no one really respected him. Certainly people didn't respect the way that he had taken his money. And unlike David Walsh, he was a, a traitor to his own community and just a thief. Now, here's this man, Matthew, sitting in his tax collector's booth. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that the booth might be like a, you know, like a lemonade stand or something, you know, like a little tent where he came and... No, we're talking about a, a customs house. We're talking about a, a tax collecting operation on the shores of the Lake of Galilee, collecting duty from the, the ships coming in and out, collecting taxes for the local people. So he's in the middle of his tax collecting operation. Jesus meets Matthew right at the moment where he is doing his traitorous, thieving work. Now, what does Jesus do? What would you do if you had the opportunity to confront someone like Matthew? You'd be angry. You might shake your fist. You might... Give him a piece of your mind because you know what he has been doing. You know what he's doing to his own people. And you might think that the Son of God, the Holy One, the man who is perfectly righteous, being confronted with Matthew, the tax collector, in the middle of his thieving, traitorous work, would tear Matthew to pieces. But what does Jesus do? He looks at Matthew and he says two words. Follow me. Follow me. That's all he says. And Matthew got up and followed him. Of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to follow him on that day, and there may have been, we, Matthew tells us, there were crowds of people around Jesus at this point. He was famous for his healing, his exorcism, his teaching. Jesus is famous, crowds of people. And of all the hundreds or thousands of people that Jesus could have chosen to be his disciple that day, he points to the tax collector, the thief, the traitor, the despicable man, and says, you, you follow me. And so Jesus made an example of Matthew the tax collector, as we will see. And Matthew, Matthew tells us, Matthew's writing about himself. This is the only time that Matthew puts himself into his own biography of Jesus. And Matthew tells us that he got up, in other words, left the tax collecting operation and went with Jesus, got up and followed him and became a disciple of Jesus on that day. Now, I think if, if, if Matthew just stopped there, that, that in itself is a remarkable story, isn't it, of a broken, despised, lost man who finds a new beginning when Jesus Christ looks at him and says, disciples. And here, again, it's worth knowing just a little bit of 
Bible culture, a bit of Bible history. Jewish people only ever ate with other Jewish people, with close friends, with family. Eating was considered to be a very intimate act. Why is that? Well, you, you ate with friends, and what you were communicating when you were eating was, these are the people I want to be with. That's what eating communicated. You, you, were, you were saying, these are the people that I want to be with. These are the people that I want around me. And so Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. Literally, he was reclining at Matthew's table. And Amanda and I have the, the, the joy of visiting the city of Pompeii. And we got to see these Roman villas. And Matthew's house would have been one of these Roman villas on the shore of Galilee. And these elegant dining rooms where rich people would lie on their, their left shoulder on soft cushions and reach in with their hands to take food off the central table. So the, these families and friends would, would recline together and eat together. It was an intimate act. And you were saying, these are the people that I want to be surrounded with. And here's Jesus eating, reclining at table with Matthew. And Matthew calls his cronies. And all the other tax collectors come. All the thieving, traitorous tax collectors of Capernaum come to Matthew's house to eat with Jesus Christ. And Matthew goes further. He says, and the sinners came as well. What does he mean by sinners? He means the religious outcasts, those who weren't practicing Jews, those who are on the wrong side of God's law. He's talking about known adulterers. He's talking about prostitutes. He's talking about known collaborators. He's talking about known thieves. He's talking about the despised dregs of the city of Capernaum come to Matthew's house and lie around Matthew's table with Jesus Christ and eat with him I'm trying to put this in a modern context. It would be like Jesus coming to the city of Hobart. This is a charger. And of all the people, he chooses to be his disciple. He chooses David Walsh. And he goes to David Walsh's house. And sits in his lounge room. And other people come to join them at the meal. And who's there? Rodney Croon is there. The LGBT activist. And the imam of the West Hobart Mosque is there, the religious outsider. And the, the director of the Glenorchy Abortion Clinic is there. And all of the people that, that we would consider to be despicable or misled or broken are there, eating with Jesus. That's the picture I have in my mind. And I can tell you now, it agitates me. It agitates me to think that Jesus would choose those people to eat with. 
Come on, Jesus. Wouldn't you choose Archbishop Claudius or Dean Richard Humphrey of the Cathedral or Reverend Markham? Wouldn't you choose him to have dinner with you? Instead, he chooses Walsh and Croon and the Imam and the abortions and the gamblers and the thieves, the adulterers. These are the people that Jesus chooses to eat with. That agitates me to think about that. And it agit- certainly agitated the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? They were the Jewish religious leaders. And they are seeing Jesus eating with the worst of the worst. And what do they say? Well, they don't say anything to Jesus. And I don't know why that is. That might be because, I mean, it's always easier to criticise a person secondhand, right, through someone else. Uh, That's what's going on here. So the Pharisees, wanting to criticise Jesus, they ask Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were scandalised. Jesus, you call yourself the Son of God, the Holy One, the Righteous One, and here you are, intimately eating for the worst of the worst. How dare you do this? And if eating counted as acceptance, then they were wondering why on earth was Jesus accepting the company of sinners around him? Why on earth is he doing this? Now Jesus hears this. I'm here at verse 12 now. And he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In other words, Pharisees, you are right about one thing. These people are simple, they are broken, they are wrong with God, they are sick. You're right about that. What you're wrong about is why I came. That's what you're wrong about, Pharisees. Because I didn't come in to to judge and to destroy the wicked. I came to save them. I came to rescue them. That's why I came, Pharisees. You've forgotten why Messiah had to come. He had to come the first time not to bring judgment on the sinful and the broken and the lost, but to help them and to rescue them and to save them. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. And there the, the prophet Hosea, coming to the priests of Israel, said, you are more concerned with the intricacies of the sacrifices and getting the religious intricacies exactly right. You're more concerned with that 
and for the people who are bringing those sacrifices, for the people who need the money. And the priests had forgotten that. The priests had forgotten the main point of the sacrifices was to bring mercy to sinful people. The sacrifices were there to help broken people, people who were separated from God. And the Pharisees had forgotten this. Can you hear what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees? Can you hear what he was saying? You are right, Pharisees. I am eating with broken, sinful, hell-deserving people. And I'm doing that because these are exactly the people who need my help. The doctor doesn't go and do his doctoring work at the supermarket or at the movies or at the botanic gardens. The doctor goes to the hospital. That's where the sick people are. That's where the people who need his skills are. And Jesus went to the sick and the broken, and that's why he chose Matthew, and that's why he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners on that day. He was sending a message to the world. I've come to help you. I've come to heal broken people. I've come to sinful people, not to leave them in their sin, not at all, but to transform them, to change them, to rescue them, and to die for them. That's why Jesus came. And that's why he finishes with these words, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now some of you are righteous. Some of you are righteous. You think of God and you think, I am I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I've done my best. I am good with God. And if I was to die tonight, God would surely receive me into heaven. Because I am righteous. Yes, I've got I've had my flaws. Yes, I have my speculos. But on the whole, I am a good good person. And God will accept me. Well, that's you. You don't need Jesus. But Jesus didn't come for you. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the right. The righteous don't need saving. The righteous don't need the Savior. If that's you, you're not Matthew in the story, are you? The Pharisee. And the fact that Jesus calls sinners and eats with sinful people, that's uninteresting to you. You don't need the Bible, you don't need church, because you're fine. But there are many of you who know that you're not righteous. And you've hurt others, you've lusted, you've judged others harshly, and you've been generous with yourself. You cared for yourself far more than you cared for others. You've suppressed the knowledge of God. 
and you know it. Your shines, by your drinking, your pornography, your gambling, whatever it is. If this is you, if you know that there is a holy God in heaven, and you are not right, and you are not good, and you are not worthy to be received into his heaven, then listen to the words of Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I came to call the sinners. The Bible is Jesus' book, the sinners. You know, right through my teenage years, I knew a lot about this book, but I missed the very basic fact that it was the sinners. I thought this book was for the good people, the good church people. The Bible's for them. I was reading it every day, by the way. But I didn't I wasn't reading it as though it was for me. I thought this is for the good people. Those people who go to church, it's them. How wrong I was. This was written for sinful people like me, broken people like me, and for you. If you are wrong with God, sinful and broken, find the Bible and read it because it was written for you. God's help for you. And if you are wrong, broken, sinful with God, then find a church. Because the church is not a gathering of good and godly and holy people. The church is just like that gathering of sinners around Jesus in the house of Matthew. It's a gathering of sinners. And the church is a hospital. And we have come here because we all know we need the help of the Saviour. And we need his healing. And we need his forgiveness. And we need his atonement. That's why we're here. We're not here to vaunt our godliness. We're here because we're hungry for the forgiveness of life that only Jesus Christ can give. So if you know that you're a sinner and broken and you read about Matthew and you think, well, that, that's me. I'm Matthew. I'm this broken, awful person. Well, you're in exactly the right place. Because this is the gathering of, of sinners and the hospital of demons. Come to find his forgiveness for healing. I want to finish with a final word to, to Cornerstone. We're so thankful, aren't we, for this, this new venue. That's why we're having the service today, a Thanksgiving service, and we get to have lunch together with our guests. We're so thankful for this, this new home. But with this new home, let us renew our vision of who we are. Let's renew our vision. Let's remember that we are the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has called us to follow him. That we've repented and we've obeyed that call. And to come to church is to gather around Jesus like the feast of Matthew. It's a feast on the words of Jesus. 
and to praise him for his love and grace. But let's never forget that we are forgiven tax collectors and sinners. We are broken people that Jesus is healing. We are people who are in the wrong with God that only Jesus could make right. We are people who desperately need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our only hope of forgiveness and salvation. Let's, let's never forget that we are all sinners gathered together to be healed by Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Secondly, let's continue to speak the truth in love to the city of Hobart, the city that we love. In love, let's continue to speak the truth about God's plan, the marriage, the family, and sex, to speak the truth about protecting and caring for the unborn and vulnerable, to speak the truth about what it means to be a human being. Let's continue to speak the truth in love because we love our city. And Jesus calls every church to be a light on the hill. And he says, you don't, no one lights a lamp and then covers it up. That's ridiculous. He's given us the truth and in love we want to share that truth. Let's continue to, to boldly do that. But even more so, let us show the love and grace of Jesus. Not, not even more so, but as we speak the truth, let us do it with love and grace. Let us take the love and the grace and grace of Jesus into our friendship circles. Let us take the love and grace of Jesus onto the university campuses if you're a student, to primary school, to high school, wherever you go. Picture Jesus who was so loving and gracious and warm and who reached out to the most broken people. How wonderful if we were to be a church that was known for that, that wherever we are in the community, in the workplace, at school, on campus, mums at home, friendship circles, extending the tender love and grace and healing of Jesus Christ, and calling people gently to come and be healed by the Savior. And let us be determined to bring practical love to our community. The Bible commands this from cover to cover, that God's people not just give words of love, but show practical love for those around us. Does your heart ache for the, the, the broken and the suffering of your community, those who are poor, those who are homeless, those who have lost family, single mums doing it hard, single dads doing it hard, kids who are uh, lonely, bullied, does your heart ache for these people? It does. Do you see needs of the community? Do you have a vision for how those needs can be met? 
Well, you need to know that our denomination has funds that can be used for charitable purposes. There are plenty of funds that can be used for charitable purposes. And what we need is for you to stand up and say, I can see a need and I think I can see how we can help with that need. And let's, let's talk about that. Come and talk to the deacons. Come and talk to the elders. Let's talk about that. Let's begin to show real practical love to our community. God's moved us to North Hobart. Let's be the hands of Christ showing practical love and care to North Hobart. And Hobart's pretty small, isn't it? Let's face it. So the, to the whole city. But as we finish, and above all, let us never forget the lesson of the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus Christ did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. And so if you are here today and you're wondering, what am I doing in the church, in God's place, when I'm so godless, in this Christian place, when I'm so unchristian, please remember the words of Jesus. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And the church is my hospital. And you are very welcome. You're very welcome. And we hope that you'll come back and join us week after week as we gather around the Son of God to receive his healing and his word of life. Amen. Well, I'll call our musicians up and they're going to lead us in another song. And then we have the joy of